1: For quite some time, the issue of diversity in the workplace has been one that has challenged both business and worker. It has been seen by many people as the quote-unquote right thing to do. But that mindset leaves out several important benefits that diversity can bring to an organization. Scott Page is a professor of complex systems at the University of Michigan. He looks at this topic in his new book, The Diversity Bonus, How Great Teams Pay Off in the Knowledge Economy. And it's great to have Scott Page with us on the show right now scott welcome yeah it's great to
0: be here thanks for having me on
1: thank you i I mentioned that that kind of mindset of the quote-unquote right thing to do and and to me when when i was thinking about it yesterday to a degree as you lay out this book that mindset almost seems a little patronizing to a degree
0: it it does in a way right you sort of feel like we want our firm to sort of you know, look like America or to have people that sort of come from all these different categories, as opposed to sort of asking the question, are we bringing in people who can sort of help us sort of fulfill our mission or be better at whatever it is that we want to do as an organization?
1: So what was it that, that drove you really, I guess, partly the research that you do to look at this topic?
0: So it was a little bit of a, you know, CP snow moment, right? So the British... Um, academic CP this idea that there's sort of two academies, right? There's sort of the Science Academy and then there's the sort of arts academy. And within at the University of Michigan right, short almost any university, you've got people in the humanities and in the arts and in philosophy departments talking about sort of the the need for inclusion on normative grounds, right? This sort of moral case for a more integrated society. Mm-hmm. And then over in like computer science and in ecology and in business, there's all these people showing in a knowledge economy this incredible value from people who have different perspectives, different ways of looking at problems, different tools. So on one side of campus, there's a whole bunch of people talking about the pragmatic benefits of diversity, and on the other side, people talking about the normative benefits, and they weren't communicating with one another. So I just saw this as a real opportunity for a, say, so that fruitful conversation.
1: So, So, I, I mean, how significant of a, of a shift are we seeing in people, in companies, really thinking about these other elements of bringing diversity to a workplace or to a, a a team, whatever it might be?
0: I think you're seeing a real shift as the nature of work changes. So one of the sort of tropes I use in the book is think about a firm that's hiring people to do physical labor, like chopping down trees. Okay. In that world, you can sort of figure out someone's ability, which is how many trees they should chop down. Right. And if you're hiring 10 people, you should hire the 10 best people. And to not hire someone because of their race or their religion or their gender, would be discrimination. I think that's how, you know, going back to the civil rights movement, a lot of this was framed. You shouldn't mm-hmm. discriminate. You should hire the person who has the most ability. But now, if you think about what, you know, you know, Apple generates two million dollars in revenue per person. No one at Apple is chopping down any trees. They're right. working on really hard problems. Right. And on really hard problems, as evidence begins to accumulate, it's becoming clear that you want smart people who think differently, who've been trained differently, went to different schools, you know have different knowledge bases, that sort of thing. And so diverse so talent, the talent of a team, depends on having diverse people on that team. And so this has just become, I think, something that everyone started to recognize as, as more and more data sort of rolls in, showing that to be true. Um, you end up with firms recognizing that cognitive diversity is a strategic asset,
1: which is interesting. You you mentioned Apple because we, we've talked about it on this show a little bit. Is that th- there are the concerns of Silicon Valley right now that maybe they are not diverse enough, in, and really looking at you know women working at, at a lot of these companies right now. So, our, I mean, there, there's there's various levels of diversity, whether it be through uh, people of different backgrounds, t- people of different mindsets, but there's also just the male-female diversity as well,
0: right? And you know, in the the link to identity. So let's think of identity diversity. Right, is that category versus cognitive diversity, right? So identity different diversities, differences in kind of who we are. Yeah. Cognitive diversity, is differences in how we think. And so then the question then is like, does identity diversity matter? If you're Apple, if you're Google, if you're Amazon, right? And it, and I, the evidence sort of shows it matters in four ways. First is just there's the syllogism, right? If if you and I come from different identity groups, we just have different knowledge bases. I mean, right. You search different things on the web than I search, we read different books, we have different interests. I mean, that's just well documented. So it's just so there's on some problems, identity diversity just correlates with cognitive diversity. It's also true that if I'm sitting in a room of people who are all trained like me and who look like me, I don't think as hard and I don't feel the need to explain as deeply. Right? Yeah. So just being in an identity diverse group. Like imagine you're designing a building and you put a blind person in the room on your team. You're going to think about the building entirely differently just because that person's in the room. Or you put a physically disabled person in the room, right? So just being around difference, that's the second effect. The third one is the things we see as problems vary depending on our identity, right? So where we want to sort of devote our energies is a function. So having more people in the from different identity groups in the room just leads to sort of more possibilities, and that, again, is well-documented. And then the fourth thing, and I think this is the one that people sort of miss, is that all these you know, women who are sort of not in tech because they don't feel comfortable there, or people mm-hmm. of color are not in tech because they, you know, the, the culture just doesn't fit, you're not only missing out on talents, right? There's talented people that are going into biotech or something else, but you're also missing out on diversity because when you make the pool bigger, right, you're just going to get more diversity. So even if women weren't different than men, just by having a larger pool – you'd have more diversity.
1: We're talking with Scott Page who is the author of the book The Diversity Bonus: How Great Teams Pay Off in the Knowledge Economy. Your comments are welcome at 844 Wharton 844 844- Nine four two seven eight six six. Or if you're not able to get to your phone, you can send us a comment on Twitter, and we'll bring it up the show. Bring it up on the show that way at Biz Radio one eleven B I Z Radio one eleven or my Twitter account, which is at Dan Loney twenty one. So, I mean, obviously, you're looking at in part the bonus, uh, the bonuses that these levels of diversity bring. But you kind of alluded to it a second ago that this can also backfire on companies when they don't kind of look for these levels of diversity.
0: Absolutely. And if you think of even how, you know, a consulting company comes in and does an evaluation, they'll say, like, how does this affect people? How does it affect process in terms of the organization? Is there risk here? How are competitors respond? They'll have a a list of dimensions at which you, you know, evaluate a business decision. If you don't bring a lot of diverse lenses to bear on a problem, you're likely to have blind spots and make mistakes. So what I'm trying to do in the book in some sense is speak you know, in some ways, speak math and logic to metaphor. So you'll have people say, oh, diverse perspectives are useful, and that sounds like a reasonable thing, right? But you want to ask, what do I mean by diverse perspective, and what types of perspectives are useful? So you want this to move kind of in the direction of science and away from just sort of like feel-good metaphorical statements about mm-hmm. different people being in the room.
1: I guess the other interesting part to it, when you're looking at uh – at this uh, mindset of, of diversity within a, a business structure, you're also talking about a time where companies seemingly want to have more teams uh, than ever before. The, the, the days of, you know, giving a project to one person and having it done a month later are, are kind of going by the board. So the need to have these, these different ideas, these different mindsets is more important now when you think about business than ever before.
0: That's and that's exactly right. That's a great point. And the reason why is because everything's so connected now, right? So when I think about any sort of business policy, there's an environmental effect, there's an energy effect, there's a personnel effect, there's all these things, and no one's going to have the bandwidth to think of all the dimensions to a problem. And so it's what you see within universities, what you see within organizations, is this rise of team-based work, right? And the those teams, the effective teams, have to be diverse when the problem is hard, right? So one of the things I kind of play with in the book is this, what I call the opposite Proverbs problem, I'm like anything your grandfather said, your grandmother said the opposite, right? A stiction time saves nine, right? He who yeah. hesitates is lost. Too many cooks boil the broth, two heads are better than one. Right? right. So it's not the case that you always want a team, right? But what, the, what firms are figuring out is where you need teams are on like high-dimensional, complex problems. So I'm a professor of complex systems, and so when I look at complexity, what I see, whether I look at ecosystems or whether I look at engineered systems, you realize the way to cope with complexity is through diversity, right? The way to harness that complexity is through diversity. Not all diversity. Don't turn that dial all the way to 11, right? right? There's right. an appropriate amount, an appropriate type, and that's what I think firms are really having, I think, see as... The new challenge, like who should be in the room, and how do we get the right people in the room to and interacting in the right ways to lead us to innovative new ideas and products and that sort of stuff.
1: But it sounds like though that you can really kind of take this this kind of philosophy and take it well beyond just the 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 idea of the company and put it in society in general uh, and have a great benefit as well.
0: No, absolutely. So one of the things that you know, and the reason the book is called the Diversity Bonus is it's not a marketing ploy. I mean, I'm of complex systems marketing isn't That's one of my blind spots. Right, right. It's that, the, uh, it's that there literally is a bonus. Like, so, I mean, one of the, I think, really intriguing things, if you sort of just kind of work through the logic, is if, if I invest in a portfolio and one stock gets a 5% return and one gets a 7% return, then on average I get six. So I get an average. And the reason for diversity in a portfolio is to spread risk, right? Very okay. straightforward. If you and I make predictions, And suppose you're off on average by 5% and I'm off on average by 5%. If our predictions aren't the same, then together we'll actually be off by less than 5%. And the reason why is sometimes we make mistakes in the same direction, like are both 5% too high. But sometimes we make mistakes in the opposite direction. You're too high, I'm too low, and then our our sort of different worldviews kind of cancel out and we nail it. And so one of the most amazing pieces of research that I talk about in the book is somebody looked at... Jack Sowell and some colleagues worked at, looked at 28,000 predictions by economists over a 40 year period. The best economist is 10% better than a random economist. If you average the best economist with the second best economist, who's 9% better, you get 18% better. So it's weird. Huh. Bringing somebody in who's worse, right, demonstrably worse, makes you better because of the fact that they're different. So there literally is a bonus. So it's not huh. marketing, it's math. Right, they're literally as a bonus. And so the question is, how many models do you keep in-house, right? How many people do you have predicting things? How many people do you have looking at solving problems? And who are they? These, are, these can become, in some sense, kind of like strategic questions that you should, you know, you should ask.
1: So, they, so, and therein lies the reason why the more kind of different mindsets you can bring to a potential problem, the greater benefit you can potentially get from it.
0: With one caveat, right? That okay. you, the, uh, they've got to be good. Right. Sure. I mean, so this is the challenge. If it were po- here's the the sort of the deep paradox that lies in this sort of logic. If it were possible to create a hundred ways of looking at a problem that were all good and diverse, we could nail everything. Right. I and mean, we would just get everything right. Right. So therefore, that it's got to be impossible to do. Right. Because these things are just not predictable. Right. But the point is, typically, two is better than one. Right. And. 3 is probably better than 2 but you, you may you may not want to have 15 different ways because you might not be able to generate right or in some sense, provide fuel for fifteen reasonable ways of looking
1: at the problem. Sure. Scott Page is the author of the book, The Diversity Bonus, How Great Teams Pay Off in the Knowledge Economy. Your comments are welcome at eight four four Wharton eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Or if you can't get your phone, you can send us a comment on Twitter and we'll bring it up to show that way at BizRadio one eleven or my Twitter account, which is at Dan Loney twenty one. So uh, with speaking specifically about the knowledge economy, how how are you seeing this linkage happen that that is benefiting uh, entities that are in the knowledge economy?
0: So in a, in a couple ways. One is I see increased reliance on teams, right? The other thing is I see firms sort of casting a much wider net, right, right. in terms of who they hire. Okay. A third thing you see, in, and this actually is, I think, in most extreme form, Ray Dalio's most recent book, The Principles, you see when, when organizations go in and do a 360 on errors, they'll say, "Why did we make this mistake? Is it because we didn't have someone in the room? We, you know, is there someone we could have had in the room that would have seen this?" So sometimes you, you know, you, you place your bets, you take your chances, things are going to work out or not work out. Other times, you just completely forgot to look at a particular dimension, and you realize, "Well, next time we make this decision, we're going to have someone from the unions in the room. Or next time we make this decision, we're going to have someone who does logistics in the room, right? Because you want to make sure that you've got the right level of diversity." To cover all the bases. Another thing you see, like there's companies like Harris, is a good example, where they really strive to make sure that they've got both quantitative people in the room and more sort of qualitative people in the room. Mm-hmm. Because this is an, you know, the entertainment industry is one where there's lots of numbers. Sure. But you also kind of have to understand human psychology, right? And so you wouldn't want Harris run by actuaries, but you also wouldn't want it run by. Um, people who didn't look at numbers at all because there's there's huge margins to be gained by really looking at, you know, trends and gaps.
1: So how, let me take something that we were just talking about, the the, the world of sport. I mean, is it is it the, the push for more data in sport that is really potentially bringing this diversity bonus forward in like the game of baseball?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, that's a really great example because in sports what you see is this, I think, in the best organizations – this really fruitful interchange between people who, you know, just look at the numbers and people who have more qualitative assessments of players. Right. You know, so I, you know, to the best of my knowledge, I don't think any organizations are making decisions entirely based on numbers, but I don't think any organizations are making decisions without an awareness of what those numbers are. Right. You also see all sorts of different models right in play at these, you know, with these different organizations it's not like there's it's not like the los angeles angels are using the same model as the chicago cubs right right and um you know so absolutely this is a case that's like a, a quintessential example of like you know you've this has long been a qualitative field let's bring in the quantitative field i guess what i'm saying what the diversity bonus says is you shouldn't toss out the qualitative people and in fact one of the things that follows from the logic is and this is worked by actually preston mcafee is an economist at microsoft As long as your other model isn't 50% worse, you should keep it. It's kind of like a not – he calls this a not-half-bad rule. Right, right. Yeah, so you can – and this is great because I could sit around and think I'm 40% smarter than you, and you could think you're 40% smarter than me, and we should still listen to each other. Right. Because there's a bonus. If it were an averaging, you'd throw the the less-effective person off the bus. (laughs) Right? Right. But uh, there's not. And so you want to keep – I mean, it's really – but but this also means – you kind of got to stick to your beliefs, right? Like, if, if if I'm trained in this way, even if I'm not as effective as somebody else, it may be that I can add a lot of value.
1: You also talk, though, about the fact that, I mean, obviously the diversity end of it is one thing, but there is a, a, a right culture element to having this success as well.
0: Uh, you know, the, this, is, this is the thing that surprised me the most, right? So 10 years ago, I wrote a book called The Difference, which is kind of like a mathematical book about the role of diversity in complex systems. And because of that book, I got invited to a lot of high-tech firms, you know, Boeing, Yahoo, Google, Ford, NASA, you've got all these places, to talk about kind of like the mathematics of diversity and things like random forest algorithms, really kind of geeky stuff. Mm-hmm. You go into those places and you realize, oh my gosh, every one of them is so different. Right? There's the famous David Foster Wallace quote where there's two goldfish swimming in the water, and an older goldfish comes up and says, "Morning boys, how's the water?" They're kind of confused. He swims off, and then one says to the other what the hell is water, right? Yeah, And you, you yeah. go into these firms, yeah. and it's like the water is different in every place. And so one of the things that's so important is making sure that you have a culture where people feel comfortable sharing their diverse ways of thinking. right? If you look back at like the O-ring disaster with NASA, that's a case of a culture where people didn't, didn't share what they know.
1: We are joined by Scott Page, who is a professor at the University of Michigan. Your comments are welcome at 844 Wharton 844 844-942-7866. Or if you can't get to your phone, you can send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. One of the things that, that surprised me in going through the book, and I, I wasn't expecting it, was the fact that you also kind of linked this as well to the Supreme Court and Justice Antonin Scalia <clears throat> right. and and some of the decisions that he's made.
0: Yeah. No, so there was a famous Supreme Court case, um, Grutter versus Bollinger, involving the University of Michigan, where Scalia said Michigan has a choice. You can be diverse or you can be excellent. And actually he used the legal term super-duper, I think, is the legal phrasing that he used. So it's a choice between excellence or super-duperness, right? There's, I'm sorry, super-duperness or diversity. And the thing is, is that if we were admitting students and they were going to go chop wood, he'd be exactly right. So my point is not that Scalia is wrong. My point is that there's places where Scalia is right, namely chopping wood, but there's other cases where Scalia is not right, and that involves almost anything that's complex. So if I were going to, let's suppose I'm trying to like figure out how to get rid of the opioid epidemic or mm-hmm. the obesity epidemic, these are high-dimensional problems, and they, you know, they affect. I mean, all sorts of things come into play. Economic inequality, human genetics, psychology, sociology, all these different disciplines. I couldn't give a test on opioids to people and then whoever scores highest construct a team consisting of the people who scored highest on that test. That would not give me the right team. Right, right? Right. What I'd want to do is I'd want to pick people from a whole bunch of different fields, from a whole bunch of different experiences. I'd want all those people to be talented, but I'd really be searching for sort of, you know, coverage some mixture of coverage and depth. And so the fact is, to be, if we really want to be super duper on complex problems, we have to be diverse. There's no trade-off. And, that, and the Scalia thing, what's, I think, kind of pernicious about it is that when you apply that all the time, we get back to sort of your earlier comment that it seems kind of patronizing, yeah. right? That It's like, well, you know, we're, we're including some diverse people because of the fact that um, you know, we want to do the right thing here. When, in fact, if I really wanted to figure out obesity or the opioid epidemic or inequality the, or write a health plan, the idea that I wouldn't be bringing people of, you know, every race of both genders, right, of, you know, from different regions of the country right. um, just doesn't pass a sniff test.
1: I find it interesting, though, that I mean the potential of having that kind of mindset, and just in some of the examples you gave right there. I mean, you have the opportunity by by really following through on that that type of philosophy to have significant positive change, not only in our culture but the global culture, culture as well. No, absolutely. And one of the things
0: that I think is so interesting about the the mindset when you think you're thinking about you know constructing teams. By bringing in people who have, you know, individual you know, sort of whose individual talents, knowledge bases, understandings are going to be useful to the group. You also change the incentives for people in terms of what human capital they acquire. So, you know, when I teach, you know, I teach undergrads at the University of Michigan. Yeah. You know, I, I say to them, think of yourself like a toolbox. I mean, you've got four years at college. Like, if someone you know goes to Wharton. You know, you don't want to pick a class so you can get an A in it so your grade point average gets higher, so you sure. score higher on some rating things so you get hired. Instead, you should be taking classes that give you tools that complement your other tools.
1: Scott, right? it's, Scott, unfortunately I have to end it there because we're at the top of the hour. It has, right. been, it has been fantastic having you on the show. I greatly appreciate it. Enjoyed going through the book and really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you, sir. Yep, thank you very, very much. Thank you. The diversity bonus is the book. Scott Page is the author. It is available in bookstores and online right now.
0: For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.